Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. A human being, by nature, by definition, his essence is about ego, self. That self-preservation could take up many forms. There are many people, freedom fighters, who are ready to give up their lives for their beliefs. Not uniquely Jew. Many people are ready to die for their beliefs. Many people were burnt at the stake for their beliefs. Socrates refused to announce his belief, and he died for the sake of his enlightenment, for his philosophy, for his understanding. But when a person is ready to die for his beliefs, it's not necessarily about self-sacrifice. A person could become so identified with his beliefs that if he loses his beliefs, he's nothing. So his ego becomes so enmeshed in his beliefs that he, you can't separate in him and his beliefs. So if you t- force him to deny his beliefs, he might as well not exist. So it's not a question of sacrifice. It's really a question of self-preservation. By him affirming his beliefs, he's actually, yes, he's making the ultimate sacrifice, but it's not really sacrifice. It's really preserving his being, preserving his identity, because his identity has become one with his beliefs. Or if a person makes a calculation, I'm going to die, but I'll be a hero. I'll be remembered. I'll be remembered forever. After all, life in this world is transient. Most people come and go. They don't leave a mark in this world. I'll be remembered. They'll be talking about me hundreds of years from now. I've inspired. I'll inspire my colleagues, my heroism, my courage, my strength. So my life has meaning. My life has purpose. Or a person can make a calculation. I will die in order that I should gain a share in the world to come. So again, it's not about self-sacrifice. It's, it's about self-preservation. A more expansive sense of self than just living and surviving in the physical form, but it's all about self. That's not self-sacrifice. Jewish martyrdom is unique. Jewish martyrdom is about self-sacrifice. It's not about calculation. It's not about I'm going to sacrifice, but I'm going to gain so much more. It's not about I. It's the ability to totally transcend the ego, to totally transcend the I. And who gave us, where did we inherit this from? As he said earlier on in the chapter, we inherited this from Avram, the very first Jew. And when did Avram truly become the very first Jew? The ultimate test, which is the test of the Akedah. The Akedah. Avram. It was such an astonishing feat of self-sacrifice that until today, every morning we wake up in the morning and the first thing we say is we read the story of the Akedah. We can't get over it. 3,800 years later, we still can't get over it. It's so shocking. It's so amazing. It's so unusual, unique. In the annals of human history, there's nothing like the Akedah. Why? There are many people ready to sacrifice their lives for their beliefs. Think about the story of the Akedah for a few moments. The story of the Akedah begins Hashem turns to Avram and he says, Kach no, please. He uses the expression please. Or Rashi says, why does he say please? Because Hashem pleaded with Avram, please. 
withstand this test. This is your tenth and final test. Please. Because if you fail this test, everyone is going to say that all the nine tests that you, that you passed till now were meaningless, were nothing. But if you withstand this test, then everyone will know that the previous nine tests were for real. Think about it. Avram was 137 years old. He recognized God from the age of three, from, the, from, the, from when he was a child. He challenged his parents. He challenged the king, Nimrod. He smashed the idols. He was thrown into the fire. He was ready to sacrifice his life. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. He was 137 years old. He's been collecting social securities for 60 years. How could you say that everything that he accomplished till now was nothing? Most you can say that his, his dedication is limited. His dedication, he's ready to sacrifice his life. He's ready to sacrifice everything. But not his son. Imagine a parent, parents who can't have children. And then they're blessed with a child. Could you imagine the joy? At the age of 99, the age of, at the age of 100, at the age of 90. You can imagine what kind of joy Isaac gave them to give up this child. Even for Avram, it's impossible. So you can say, listen, like God was asking too much. Simply not possible. Just like God didn't test Sarah with this test. It wasn't a test for Sarah. It's not a test for a Yiddish mama. This is not a test. You can't test someone something he can't handle. Sarah couldn't handle this. This wasn't a test for her. God doesn't test the person something they can't handle. He can't ask a Jewish mother to sacrifice a child. Simply, it's impossible. Especially if having a child, the first child, 90 years old. So you can say that for Avram it was a little too much. Hashem was pushing the limits, pushing the envelope a little too, too, too hard. It was just a little too much. You couldn't take it. How can you say that everything you've accomplished till now in the last 134 years is meaningless? And the answer is, because it was, this was the only test that was pure self-sacrifice. Because think about it. Abraham was identified with his beliefs. He recognized God. He came to the realization there's a God in this world. From when he was three years old, he came out of the cave, he looked at the sun, he worshipped the sun. The sun set, he worshipped the moon. Then he realized that neither the sun is God nor the moon is God, and he realized that there's a God that creates the sun and the moon. And he came all of this on his own. He came to the realization, he learned it from his parents, from his environment, he came to it on his own. And he was, he had, he was coherent, he was able to communicate his beliefs, he was able to create a following, he was a leader, he wrote books. He went on talk shows, he communicated, he challenged the politically correct uh, assumptions of that day. They were all idolaters and, and pagans, and he, he challenged them. And he had a whole following, a mass movement of people who believed in God, who lived a godly life. And he sustained and built up this movement and went from strength to strength. So Avram was so identified with his beliefs that the fact that he was ready to sacrifice his life ready to be thrown into the furnace for his beliefs, that doesn't prove, yeah, that's not Jewish self-sacrifice. That's not Jewish martyr. That many people are ready to die for their beliefs. Communism, or thisism, that, that doesn't prove that Avram was truly, it was about self-sacrifice. It wasn't about self-sacrifice. It was about self-expression. It was only by the Akedah. What was that God asking Avram to do? It was, on the face of it, it was the most meaningless act. It would mean nothing. It would signify nothing. It would accomplish, not only wouldn't it accomplish anything, it would actually be totally counterproductive. He would actually be setting, setting himself back 134 years. He would actually be taking with his own hands, taking and destroying everything he built up. 
for the last 134 years and guaranteeing that there's no future. That Judaism begins and ends with him. What did Hashem ask him to do? To take his ear. His ear. Finally, after 100 years, he finally got a child, an ear, who's going to carry on the family business. Who's who's going to continue this belief system. And Hashem asked him, take with your own hands and return the gift to me. Now, if Hashem would have asked him, listen, I want you to call a press conference. Invite CBS, invite all the channels, Fox, CNN, come and make, show your heroism, your dedication to God, that you're ready to offer your only child just because God told you. Okay, maybe. What does God tell? <laughs> Go on a distant journey. Take you, only, only you and Isaac. Alone. Three-day journey. Go on the mountaintop. He left his servants at the bottom and the foot of the mountain. Go on the mountaintop. Just you and Isaac. Do you think anyone in the world would believe Avram? If Avram came down the mountain alone? Avram, he couldn't even hurt a fly. Yeah, he killed his son. Sure. No one would even believe him. They'd probably say they got into a scuffle, they got into a fight, the son ran off. That's the end of it. So it would be a meaningless act, a pointless act. Not only it's, it wouldn't accomplish anything, it would be totally counterproductive. It would be destroying with his own hands everything that he built up. And yet, Avram was ready to do it. If this is the will of God, this is Jewish martyrdom. This is Jewish self-sacrifice. There's no ego. There's no agendas. There's no calculation. For a Jew, there's only one reality, and that is Hashem. If this is what Hashem wants from me, even though it goes contrary to everything that I understand, it goes against every fiber of my being, it goes against my nature, it goes against every bone in my body, it goes against everything I've, I've worked so hard for for the last 134 years. If this is what Hashem wants, not only did Navram hesitate, he woke up early in the morning, he went gladly, and he was ready to do whatever Hashem wants, because he has no agendas. It's not that he's gaining anything, or he made a calculation, or his identity is tied up with his... There's no other reality. All there is is God. And if this is what Hashem wants for me, that's all that matters. It's not an option. And contrast that to the very first human being, Adam. Hashem asked Adam a simple thing. A simple thing. Please, don't eat from the tree. He couldn't listen. A simple thing. Didn't ask him, wasn't, didn't ask him not to commit a crime, not to commit adultery. He asked him, don't eat from the tree. As a matter of fact, the whole prohibition was only for a few hours. Had he waited till Friday night, according to one opinion, it was actually the grape. He would have made Kiddush on it, and that would have ushered in the Messianic era. So for a few hours, Hashem asked him, don't eat it. Wait till Friday night. Three hours. The whole prohibition was three hours. That's one of the reasons of Arla, the mitzvah of Arla. You're not allowed to eat from a tree, a fruit, the first three years. Three hours, the whole prohibition. And he can listen. Look what Hashem was asking of Avram. Hashem commanded him, go take your son and offer him as a sacrifice, return the gift that I gave you, the age of a hundred, and now it's time to send them back home. Send them back to hell. Now Avraham was God's partner. When God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Hashem says in the Torah, am I going to hide it from Avram? Avram is my partner. Do you know who Avram is? 
Before Avraham came on the scene, no one knew of me. God was totally, no one even talked about God. God was so remote, abstract, irrelevant to people's lives. Avraham made God relevant. He brought his reality, his consciousness, into human consciousness. So Avraham was God's partner. Without Avraham, no one would know God. So Avraham was a general in God's army. He was, he was the, 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 the secretary. He was the head. He was the head, the head in chief. And God says, I can't do anything in this world without asking God. Avram was a partner, an equal partner with God. So Avram could have thought to himself, hey, I have a responsibility. Since I'm a partner, God himself said that I'm a partner. And Avram knew who, who he was and what he accomplished. Without him, no one would even know Hashem. Hashem was totally, the world was totally oblivious of God. Avram may even have a responsibility as God's partner. Listen, God, with all due respect, this is no good for business. <laughs> you, want, you want me to kill Isaac? Are you kidding? It's not about me. It's about the business. It's no good. It's not, I don't know what you want to accomplish. And you know what? He would have been right. He would have been right because never, God never intended him to kill Isaac. But he would have lost his Jewishness. That would have been the end of Judaism. That would have been the end of Judaism. Then it's like any other religion. When did he become Jewish? At that moment. What heroism, what courage. Till today, 3,800 years later, every morning we wake up, we read the story, we're so astonished. Amazing. 137 years old. He was a general. He was the head. God spoke to him. He was his partner. And yet, without any hesitation, if this is what Hashem wants, I am a simple soldier. This is what God wants. What's my life all about? My life, I have no ego. I have no agendas. It's not limited to my human finite understanding. We're dealing here with God. The most brilliant and the simplest are all equal. The animal and the most brilliant mind in comparison to God are the same. The brilliant mind understands as much about God as, as, as the beast and the brute. Zero. Nothing. We don't even have the tools to approach God. We don't even, we don't even have the ability. We don't even know how to approach God is so undefined and so infinite and beyond our comprehension. And therefore, if this is the will of Hashem, Avram never lost that point, that connection. There's no ego, there's no I, there's no agendas. All there is is Hashem. There is no other reality. And it was so clear to him, so crystal clear. This is what Hashem wants. In one moment, he was going to destroy his whole life. Give up everything he believed in. Everything he sacrificed everything for he was ready to give it up in a moment and he woke up early and he, he was excited and he said, this is what Hashem wants, this is what I want. This is Jewish self-sacrifice. It's not within the human capacity. This is a divine ability. It's super, superhuman, super logical. This is the divine spark that each and every Jew has within. The pintaliyid that's run so deep inside of us. We can go through our entire life and it can be hidden and dormant and concealed and covered up. But in the moment of truth, when you shake a Jew, when you give him a little shake, a little shuckle, all this, all the surface and the superficial just falls by the wayside and that pintleyid, that spark, that readiness of self-sacrifice, that, 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 that holy spark just emerges in all its beauty. And the simplest Jew has it equally as the greatest rabbi in the the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar doesn't have this ability one iota more, more so than the simple Jew, the cobbler, the tailor, the thief, the prostitute, the gunner. Every Jew has it equally. 
inherent, it's innate, we're born with. This is Jewish self-sacrifice. And this is the essence of what a Jew is all about. And the truth is, it's not just in moments of truth when this core and essence emerges and surfaces. It permeates the entire Jew. Everything a Jew does, really, if you dig deep, you'll discover that element of self-sacrifice. Why does a Jew study Torah every day? Why does a Jew pray every day? Why does a Jew do a mitzvah every day? Ultimately, it's because, because it's the right thing to do, because it's godly, because we respond to godliness, not because of our selfish ego motivation or our ego satisfaction. We may think that that's really our motivation, but deep down, underlying and underneath that, there's really a selfless motivation, a godly motivation. A Jew responds to godliness. And we do it because it's the right thing. Why? 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 I don't know. This is it. I'm a Jew, and this is the godly thing to do, and this is the right thing to do, and that's why I'm doing it. Not only out of calculation. What am I going to gain from it? Why is this meaningful to me? That's, that's a fringe benefit. That's not the core motivation. The core motivation of a Jew is because it's the godly thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Because I'm a Jew and I have a soul. And ultimately what motivates a Jew, a Jew is not motivated by ego. It may come to a surprise to many of us. <laughs> ultimately a Jew is not motivated by ego. That's not what it's about. We're motivated by a purely egoless, selfless. We're not ego-centered, we're God-centered. We have a relationship with God, we have a connection with God, and this is reality to us. This is the only reality, the ultimate reality, the absolute reality. There is no other reality. And that's what we respond to, and that's what motivates us. It's that connection. Whether we're aware of it or not, but ultimately that is the ultimate motivation for everything that we do. So if Abraham takes this child, so you mentioned a word, a gift. Do you think that Abraham considered the child God's child and he received the gift and he can return the gift back? To put it in very, in very simple terms, and this is really the foundation of a Jew's life, which is why the Jew could easily accept the Torah and the mitzvah. Not only don't we look at it as a burden, but we look at this Torah mitzvah, the restrictions, the obligations as a gift, not as restrictions and burdens. When God went around to all the nations of the world, they rejected the Torah because they looked at it as a burden, as a restriction. What's the difference? In simple words, in simple terms, to the non-Jewish nations, you know, if someone came to you in your home and started ordering you around and bossing you around, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that, you would feel imposed upon you would reject it and you would throw them out. But imagine if you're a guest in someone's home. And your host places restrictions. Lights out at 10, supper, dinner's being served at 7, we're only offering a chicken for supper. Do you feel imposed upon? Do you feel burdened, restricted? I don't feel like eating at 7. I don't like chicken. I want steak. 10 o'clock is too early for me. Are you kidding? You're a guest. You're a guest in your host's home. You can't thank them enough. Not only don't you feel restricted or burdened, you can't, you're grateful. You can't thank them enough. Why? Because your host doesn't owe you anything. 
you're a guest in his home. Whatever you have is a gratuitous gift, a kindness from his part, a generosity from his part. You can't thank them enough. And you live very happily with all the restrictions. This is really the foundation of a Jew's life. The very first words in the Torah, God creates the world. It's God's world. So for a Jew, life is a gift. Existence is a gift. So therefore, if you, this was, if you think about it, these were the tests that Avram had. Hashem took everything away from Avram. Everything. He took away his life. He was thrown into the furnace. He took away his wife. She was taken away. He took away his livelihood. He had to leave because of the famine. He took away his nephew. Yishmael was kicked out. And finally, the ultimate, ultimate test. Taking away your child. Because a Jew's attitude is, I don't own my wife. I don't own my life. I don't own my body. For a Jew, there are no rights. We have no rights in this world. All we have are privileges. And when you, have, when you live with that attitude, all you have is privileges. If after 37 years, Hashem says, I gave you a gift, 37 years, I want it back. That's why he became the first Jew and God made a covenant with him for his children forever and ever. I wonder what Isaac's feeling must have been at that point. Why are you doing this to me? Isaac actually um, encouraged Avraham. He encouraged him. Encouraged him. As a matter of fact, the Satan says, Satan tried to stop Abraham. He created water. And Avram walked into the water, and when it reached his mouth, the water parted. Then Satan sidled up to Isaac and says, Listen, Isaac, you're a young guy. Yeah. You're 37. You were never married. You never even lived life. Right. Look at your father. Your father's a holy Jew. He's 137 years old. But he's 137 years old. Obviously, he's a little, little senile. It happens to the best of us. Obviously, he may be suffering from early Alzheimer's. Maybe he, oh, Abraham. Abraham. He's telling Isaac. Maybe he hears voices in his head. He thinks. I mean, come on. You know, he snuck out of the house. He didn't tell your mother. Isaac refused to listen. He says, listen, if my father's ready to do this, and God spoke to him. And if God spoke to him, this is what Hashem wants. As a matter of fact, he pleaded with his father to tie him up. Yeah. When he put him on the altar, he says, out of instinct, I'm going to block the knife. He's honored his father to that extent. Yes, he says, please tie me up so I shouldn't even, out of instinct, defend myself. But he didn't honor God, he honored his father. He honored the, the will of Hashem. He trusted his father. If this is what Hashem wants. And Avram did not doubt for a moment that Hashem spoke to him. Avram was a prophet. Mm-hmm. A prophet is not hearing voices in his head. A prophet knows 100% that God is speaking to him. This subject matter has been going on a long time about the question, how could God ask a father by, by this? Now, it can be misinterpreted because the end of the story to many people is that he had every intention of taking, according to Abraham. He didn't think it was a test. He didn't know it was a test. Right. That's why it was a test. Right. He was ready to... Was there any doubt in Abraham's mind at any hour? No. God God spoke to him, 100%. Moses heard God. He turned God down. That was different. God wanted to punish the Jewish people. God wanted to punish Sodom. If God is planning a terrible decree against human beings, God wants us to pray and to avert the decree. We're not fatalists. We don't just accept it. This is not what the Akedah was about. God didn't say punish Isaac. It wasn't about a punishment. God says, I gave you a gift. Your existence is a gift. Your life is a gift. Everything you have is a gift. Your wife is a gift. Your family is a gift. Everything you have is a gift. Your success, everything. I am asking you, after 37 years, return the gift back to me. 
if a Jew approaches God and says, I'm only going to worship you if it makes sense to me. If it doesn't make sense to me, I'm out of here. Why would he argue? That's religion. That's Why not Judaism. Why Abraham argue? God wanted him to argue. Oh, oh, oh. God wanted him to argue because... In that case, he wanted him. In this case, he didn't want him. Because... How do you know he wanted him to? How do we have the capacity to know that God wanted him to when we can't fathom God? Because it's a mitzvah. Actually, it's a mitzvah in the Torah. It's one of the mitzvah to pray, not to be fatalistic. When something terrible is about to happen, a Jew has to storm heaven and earth. You have to avert the decree. You don't just accept it fatalistically. In Judaism, there's no surrender. A Jew is meant, because in a perfect world, this world is a garden of Eden. In a perfect world, there is no, are no tragedies. Would you at least allow this to be a doubtful subject in questioning, not God, Abraham? But I, 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 God. I think your question is just highlighting the, 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 the depth of what happened here. Why the Akedah is so pivotal for a Jew? Why it's so fundamental for a Jew? This wasn't about a punishment. This wasn't about a... Um, Hashem was angry. It wasn't about a punishment. It wasn't Hashem was angry. Hashem says, I gave you a gift for 37 years. Send the soul back to me. Send the soul back to heaven. If a Jew is only ready to worship God, only in a way that's limited to my limited understanding and to my limited grasp, that would have been the end of Judaism. There is no Judaism. That's not Judaism. That's religion. That's not Judaism. The foundation of Judaism, the very foundation of Judaism, is there's a genuineness. And that moment of genuineness and all its beauty and all its purity mm-hmm. emerged during the Akedah because Avram trusted Hashem. Wow. You know, there's a beautiful story with the Arizal, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived. He lived in Sfat and he would take his students out Friday evening to sing the Lecha Dodi to welcome in the Shabbos. And one day he tells his students, one Friday, Friday evening, he says, if you'll just come with me, I can take you now to the Kaisal. We'll go to the wall and we'll accept, we'll receive the Shabbos in Yerushalayim. He's talking about a miraculous transportation. He says, we'll close our eyes and in a moment we'll be at the Kotel and we'll welcome the Shabbos. And that would have been the Mashiach. Mashiach would have come. So there were some students, very learned, and they said, Rabbi, it says in the Code of Jewish Law that before a husband leaves his wife, especially Friday night, you have to ask permission. My wife is expecting me. She has soup ready for me. She has gefilter fish. All of a sudden, I'm going to disappear in her. The Rabbi's face fell. You know, he's chagrined. He turned his face around. He says, Mashiach could have come. If you only would have trusted me, don't you think I know what it says in the Shulchan Aruch? What do you think? Haven't I learned the same Shulchan? Haven't I taught you everything you know? There was a moment. There was an opportunity. This is what Hashem wanted at this moment. Had you been alert and sharp and been ready, that's it. Your wives would have joined you with Mashiach and Yerushalayim, like with all the Jewish people. But you had to have the trust. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.